Dr. Marketing Tips, paging Dr. Marketing Tips. Dr. Marketing Tips, you're needed in the marketing department. Welcome to the Dr. Marketing Tips Podcast, your prescription to the answers you seek to grow your medical practice easier, better, and faster. This show is all about connecting practice administrators and medical marketing professionals with peers working in practices, hey there, learning welcome from to experiences, the Dr. Marketing Tips Podcast. Mistakes, I am and sharing successes. And Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about a topic that has been hot and heavy, especially in the last couple of weeks. We're recording this on March 30th, and everybody is just trying to figure out what this new normal is going to be related to social distancing as we fight the COVID-19 pandemic. And Corey, you've been at the front lines helping to get um, dozens and dozens of practices set up on a telehealth and telemedicine solution. So let's dive right into it and let's talk about telehealth. We are in a redefining moment for the telehealth and telemedicine industry. A couple of weeks ago, President Trump got up on the television during a news conference and talked about relaxing the regulations as it relates to telemedicine. And specifically, he got up and said that he was going to um, temporarily um, kind of stop violations related to HIPAA. And these kind of two announcements that were part of that same conversation really were a big defining moment for telemedicine and telehealth specifically. Yeah. And and I would say that not only were they defining moments for telemedicine and telehealth specifically, but also for just healthcare in general, because patients are now going to expect a telemedicine solution. So when this is all said and done and we go back to normal, patients are going to want and expect to have an option to do a telemedicine appointment. So a perfect example is if your ankle is bothering you, you don't have to spend the time to go necessarily down to the local orthopedic practice. You don't have to make the appointment, take you know a few hours out of your day and what have you to get down there. You can just do a telemedicine appointment. And one thing that we've been seeing and all of these different solutions are touting is that from a practice side, you can see a lot more patients in a lot less time using telemedicine. So the average visit is somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. And a lot of times on telemedicine, it takes four to five minutes for the visit. So not only is it convenient for the patient, but it also is uh, beneficial for the practices. Yeah. And I think that this, current crisis is forcing us all to use technology that maybe we weren't comfortable using, patients included. And once a patient has gone through the process of a telemedicine appointment, um, I think it's it's like you just said, it's going to be more and more expected. And once people are familiar with using technology and seeing their health healthcare provider in this way, it will become the new normal. Now you mentioned, um, you know, an ankle fracture or something like that, you know, an orthopedic group. And we have a large ortho practice that we work with that got in front of telemedicine um, literally the same day that the president made the announcement. They also launched their telemedicine solution, but are you seeing it across all specialties or are you just seeing it like in one group of specialty or, or others? Yeah, we're seeing it across all specialties. So last week alone, um, we helped a vascular group, an infectious disease, ear, nose, and throat, orthopedic, I mean, you name it, and they were all 
signing up for one telemedicine solution or another. Yeah, and I think we got an email this morning from a really large ophthalmology group, an eye care provider, and they're getting ready to launch telemedicine next week. And so, yeah, I think I think we're going to see it across all specialties. I don't think that you're going to have the luxury of not having a solution. So let's dive right into it. Um, if I'm looking to get my practice set up on telemedicine, and there are so many options out there to choose from, what are some of the things that I should be considering? Yeah, there definitely is no shortage of options. And I would say that in the next coming couple of weeks, there's going to be a lot more options because this is definitely a business opportunity for folks in the software um, industry. And so one of the big questions is, do you want to do something that's app-based or browser-based? And so, for example, we've set up a couple of people on app-based platforms like OrthoLive and SpringHealth. And an app-based platform is exactly that. You have to download an app or the patient We'll have to download an app as well, enter a username, password, and then they'll uh, access the telemedicine platform from their phone or from their device. Browser-based, you can use you know, just your regular internet browser, so you can do that from any device that you have, but browser-based won't work on all browsers. So, for example, if you have an older demographic, um, typically they're going to use a Windows computer, and typically an older Windows computer we'll use Internet Explorer. And a lot of the solutions like Doxy.me is a really popular one. Well, that doesn't work on a uh, Internet Explorer-based browser. So if your patient population is a little bit older, um, for example, we helped set up a um, gastro group out of, uh, they're out of Southwest Florida, and their patient population is a little bit on the older side. And so for them, explaining to someone, you know, that's, that's uh, 70 years and older, how to install Google Chrome or Firefox on their computer. I mean, you're not going to get too far doing that. Um, and then there's ongoing costs that are associated with all of these platforms. Some are by provider, most are by provider. In fact, um, some offer a free option. Some, however, um, are, are going to be paid or they unlock features as you sort of step up the tiers and pay more money. Other options will collect payments and consent forms. For example, um, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the OrthoLive and the Spring Health platforms, those you can actually sign the consent forms within the app. Um, something like Doxy, they have what's called teleconsent. It says coming soon at the time of this recording. It doesn't exist just yet. Um, so practices are handling these appointments like they would if it was an in-person visit. So they're calling, they're getting this information. They're confirming all of the co-payments and the fees and uh, everything like that before the actual appointment starts. And really, at the end of the day, you have to answer the question of what kind of patient experience do you want to deliver and how are you going to do that? Yeah, and I think that I think it really does boil down to patient experience. I think in the immediate here and now you know, emergency, we've got to get our practice up and running so that we can provide patient care, that we have some practices that are just reacting to the immediate situation. Separately, we've got practices who are looking at this as an opportunity to fast track a long-term solution. And so you need to look at it, in my mind, you need to look at it from a standpoint of what kind of patient experience do you want to deliver, but also are you looking for an immediate solution or are you looking for a long-term solution that's actually going to be a service offering that you're going to have moving forward? Yeah, and and like you were saying, most people are going to expect this moving forward. So, you know, obviously you want to get something up and running as quick as possible, 
But at the same time, you have to balance that between, well, now this is up and running, but are we going to have to change everything about it in a month to keep this going? And I think that leads to the first kind of this first question I've got for you is, you know, why explain to our listeners and to those that are watching this webinar, why not just use Skype or FaceTime? And we had several clients that started using Skype and FaceTime to deliver a telemedicine solution as soon as the president made the announcement, but we're really encouraging them not to use these, um, these services just willy nilly. And why would we encourage them not to? Yeah. So for now, like you said, they're fine because there aren't any HIPAA regulations to worry about, but once those come back into play, you're not going to want one of these as a long-term solution. And yes, the fee is nominal and the workflow is, is super simple because you can just make a phone call. Um, in fact, we had an ear, nose, and throat group where we've transitioned and we set them up on the DoxyMe platform. And I, I think there's like 16 physicians in the group. And I would say probably 10 to 12 of them are using the Doxy platform, but some of the other ones are still using Skype and FaceTime because they're sort of, um, intimidated by the Doxy platform. And I would say it's, it's just like anything else, you know, like when you first signed up for Facebook, right, it was sort of intimidating. But then once you get used to it, and you sort of learn your way around the app, then it's just the new normal. And I think that's a bigger lesson to sort of take away from all this is yes, it can be a little bit intimidating to have this new set of protocols and this new technology. But once you get used to it, after a couple of days, it's just sort of the new normal. And um, one thing that we also heard from physicians is they don't want to use Skype and FaceTime because that shares their phone number. And they're a little afraid that if they share their phone number with, with every patient that they're seeing, everyone's going to have their phone number and start calling and texting them throughout all, all times of the day and the night. So um, these telemedicine platforms obviously keep that information secure you're not sharing any sort of phone numbers or emails or usernames or anything like that with patients. Um, usually what happens is a patient will schedule an appointment either on the app or within their browser. And then they're popped into a custom quote unquote waiting room for the physician. And then when it's time, you just sort of click on their little name and start the call. Yeah, I think those are great points. And I think that, you know, two things here. One is, if you're setting your practice up for a, a true solution and not just something that gets you through today, then you want a solution who is, is rooted and grounded in telemedicine and they've been doing this from the get go. And we would be presumptuous to make any kind of assumption that just because the regulations have been relaxed this week means that they're going to be relaxed long term. And in any given day, we know that um, the president could change what the, the violations and the requirements are, and they could, CMS could retroactively go in and find you on some things that um, maybe were, they could look at data from previously. And so it just makes sense to get set up on a solution that's actually a telemedicine solution from the get-go and not, you know, just because there's a tool out there that could get the job done. Right, exactly. And if you use uh, like a Skype or a FaceTime now, what you're essentially doing is not only are you training your physicians that this is going to be what we're going to do moving forward, but you're training the patients that way too. So that if you do introduce something later, that's more of a long-term solution, you have to retrain the patients to say, oh, I can't just pick up the phone anymore and expect a call between nine and 9.30. Now I have to log in and do all this other stuff. Just, like forget that. I'm just going to do something else. So you run the risk of training someone and going down a path one way and let's say they have two to three appointments on FaceTime and all of a sudden in a couple months when they have to come back, there's something totally different and that could 
sort of uh, upset the apple cart and change the patient experience. Yeah, that's a really good point, Corey. So let's go into this. I, I hear this question all the time and you're able to answer it for our clients, but how does telemedicine work with workflow and protocols? Well, just like anything else, you're going to want to draft up a protocol for employees and, and the docs to follow. So yeah, it can at the start kind of create a little bit of bottlenecking and strain on your side because you have to come up with these protocols, but it also will help you answer a lot of the questions and can be used sort of long-term. So um, we're seeing a lot of practices. I can probably think of at least like half a dozen off the top of my head that are scheduling patients just like normal and then asking them if they want to have a telemedicine appointment. And that's sort of as far as along as they are with their, their protocols and their workflow. Um, other practices are actually trying to do everything online. So they updated their forms on their website. So if someone goes to request a form, they'll say that they uh, request an appointment rather. Um, they'd like to request an appointment, then they'll have a drop down to do in person or telehealth if that's an option. They'll click on the telemedicine and they're having their appointment schedulers call, confirm the date, the time, secure um, uh, insurance information and everything like that. So they're treating it just as a normal appointment, only instead of coming to the office, they are in fact uh, sending out a link that will go to the physician's private waiting room. Um, some people, a little bit more on the advanced side are doing this automatically. So they've created some sort of automation system that says, if you have an appointment Tuesday at 1130, you're going to get a text at 1030 that reminds you of your appointment with a link so that when 1130 rolls around, you just click on the link on your phone and then boom, you're in the waiting room and you're ready for your appointment with the doctor. So there's different ways to do it. Some is a little bit more of a manual approach where the office is actually reaching out with a phone call or with an email or with a text to remind patients and telling them where to go. Some folks have gone the automated route and are letting the software sort of take care of that. Yeah, and I think that it just depends on on what the needs of your practice are. And Corey, you've been a great resource to a lot of clients and non-clients asking about how these workflows are working. And um, you know, it's interesting to see that each one of them, each practice seems to be a little bit different but they're, they're, they're figuring it out as they go. And I think that, you know, after we get kind of through this initial launch period, that this will just be another service offering that everyone has just like, you know, walk-in clinics or, or Saturday hours, it'll now be telemedicine on top of it. Yeah. So having seen both sides, um, I totally agree. Um, one thing I will say, so for, again, going back to the, one of the initial questions is, do you want to go like app-based or do you want to go web-based? And I will say that the folks that are going the app-based side, um, they do really like that the consent forms are in the app. I think that's a big time saver when it comes to workflow and, and protocols because as a patient, you download the app, you log in, and then immediately it asks you to check a couple of boxes, read some consents and agree, and then that gets filed and, and you can um, you know, either integrate with your EHR and then that goes right into the chart or you can log in you know, through the dashboard of the app, see that they filed these consents, download them, and then throw them in the EHR yourself. Whereas it, on the, the browser side, like a, again, like a, a DocsyMe or um, a Teladoc, those kinds of solutions, um, they, uh, depending on the plan, do, do not offer that. So it's an extra step from a workflow side for your staff to get, get the consent forms done, which again, depending on your population can be kind of tricky right now because you're gonna ask people to print these things out, sign them, figure out how to scan them, and then send them to you. And it, that can create a whole 
another set of issues right there. So Corey, another question for you. Um, as it relates to workflow and protocols, if we have, especially in the here and now with social distancing, how are practices communicating this with their, with their staff? How are they getting it across and doing the training for these new workflows and new protocols to get everybody up and going? Yeah, so what I've seen so far is um, just like normal, if an office creates like an inner office memo or posts something on the internet, they're doing those things as well because most staff that are at home, they're, um, they're like remoting into their desktop so they can still see those messages. Um, they're also, I've also heard one office is actually, um, not only did they send an email to everybody, but they're actually sending just like regular piece of snail mail um, out to their employees with this new protocol saying, essentially announcing that yes, we now have telemedicine. Here's how it works. Here's things to be aware of. If you have any questions, contact so-and-so. And they put sort of um, someone on their admin team, like as a point person. So all of the employees will funnel up and ask all of their questions to them. And they're sort of like the unofficial official team leader of yeah. the telehealth. All right. So let's just keep going. Um, all right. So looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, your docs and your patients, what is it that you need to tell your docs and your patients? What is it exactly that they need to know when you launch a solution? Well, this is an entirely new way to perform medicine. So um, I think that the best thing to do is assume that nobody knows anything. So just, you know, start from step one. So for example, one of the clients that we work with, they went the app-based route. And so we created a website, uh, or I'm sorry, a page on their website that of course says, yes, now we offer telemedicine. But then if you scroll down a little bit further, it actually has the links of where to get the app and then a step-by-step -step walkthrough of what to do to sign in. Because we don't want to assume that everyone knows that they're going to be sent a link or they're going to have to enter their password or whatever the case may be. And it's the same thing with any sort of browser-based solution. If you can walk everyone through and be as specific as possible on the physician side and the patient side, you're going to avoid a lot of headaches. Um, another example, I was working with a group last week and they had dozens of questions. And so uh, probably every 15 minutes or so, I was getting a phone call that said, hey, are you available? I've got Dr. So-and-so on the line. And then, so I'd answer the phone and it would actually be a conference call with like 15 of them. And I was trying to like rapid fire answer all of their questions. Um, and I don't know if anyone on their side was taking notes and getting ready to write up that protocol, but that would have been a really good idea on their side because um, as physicians come and go, as staff come and go, you're gonna have all these same questions as new people get introduced to this. And until it does become the new normal, you're gonna need to explain every piece of how these operations work. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give ourselves a shameless plug here. So we have our training company side of the business that actually has an LMS where you can take these protocols and workflows and do a quick screen share on your videos, throw them into the LMS and provide the same training to everybody. And so I'm going to encourage folks out there, if you need to train your, your employees or train your doctors to look at the way that you currently are training people and see if there's a method for you to do it once, load it, and then provide seamless training across the board because you actually may have the solution already in place in-house and you just aren't thinking in terms of using it for a training solution for everybody on your team, especially right now if you're having to work remotely. 
So let's go right into what do you need to do if you're going to use telemedicine at your practice? Yeah, so for the most part, all of the solutions are relatively the same in how they actually deliver the telemedicine visit. So typically a patient is sent a link to quote-unquote visit their office. The patient is then instructed to click that link several minutes before the appointment. That pops them into a waiting room. And then when they're in the waiting room, it will make sure that um, either it's an app or a browser has access to a camera and a microphone, because obviously you need that. You're just treating this as a video phone call, essentially. Um, and then we've been telling people to be prepared to be on camera um, with the physician and the support staff. So one issue that we've been running into a lot is how do I include an MA or a nurse or whatever in this visit? And so the answer that, uh, to that is, if they're in the same location, it's relatively easy. They, you would start the visit like normal, and then you could actually start with the MA or the nurse. They could come in to the call uh, with the patient, and then they'll address the chief complaint, get any sort of vital information, ask any questions, do whatever you need to do there, pause the call, walk outside, tell the physician, hey, your patient in exam room three or whatever is ready for telemedicine. Physician goes in, starts the call, has the visit just like normal. If they're not in the same location, so for example, we have a bachelor group that we work with and the physicians, a lot of them, um, they're considered um, like high risk because of what they're, they're doing in the hospitals. So they're actually working from home and they're not seeing patients um, at all in the office and they're actually staying out of the office. So for example, what they're doing is they have nurses and MAs in the office. The physician is at home. So they have another account set up. They're, they're using Doxy.me, that's their platform of choice. So they have an account set up for the nurses in the office. So they're starting the call and then putting them on hold and then actually texting the physician at home, hey, this patient is ready, like Debbie Smith is ready. And then the physician can see that Debbie Smith is in the patient queue. So then he'll go in and start the call. Um, so it, it's again, working out those protocols and that workflow, it's very fluid. Um, but that's how they're doing it from different locations and they're making sure that they can be on camera either at the same time or as needed with support staff. And then of course you want to have a reliable and stable internet connection and have any documentation and photos ready to upload as needed. And that goes not only for the practice, but for the uh, for the patients as well, we're telling them to also be prepared with any sort of documents or photos or anything like that that they need, image studies, etc. Hey guys, Corey here, co-host of the Dr. Marketing Tips podcast, and I wanted to interrupt this episode just for a minute to tell you about Insight Training Solutions. So Insight Training Solutions is an ongoing employee engagement and training platform for your medical practice, meaning employees can log on and take these medical practice-specific trainings whenever and wherever they are. And each training is meant to increase employee engagement, improve practice reputation, and develop some patient service mindsets. If we're being honest, something that we all know some of the employees may lack, not uh, calling anybody out by name, but uh, one of the cool things about Insight Training Solutions is they're always developing new content and they just released 10 steps to a phenomenal patient experience where you'll learn how to create a phenomenal patient experience, strengthen job security, and discover 
customer service secrets for your entire team. So this course is in addition to the other ones they already have, which include communication across generations and how to understand today's multi-generational workforce and how to develop overall patient experience. This is another course, the new approach to customer service. We've also got eight ways to wow patients and you can sign up for a free trial to see what everything is about uh, at insighttrainingsolutions.io that's insighttrainingsolutions.io or just google insight training solutions you'll be glad you did so from a browser standpoint what do folks need to use if they're using like um like a browser-based right so if they're using a browser-based platform you want to make sure that you are using Chrome, Firefox, or Safari if you're on an Apple device. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you actually don't have to do anything, which is nice. It kind of goes back to the whole Apple slogan of it just works. Um, everybody has Safari installed on their, their devices. So if you're doing that, if the patient has uh, an iPhone or whatever, totally fine. Don't have to do anything there. Same from an Android device. They'll have Chrome pre-installed. That's the browser of choice. So you really don't have an option to kind of mess those up. It's when you're on the desktop computers that you introduce that element of the Internet Explorer, which can potentially uh, be an issue, which is why some folks are just saying, you know what, I'm going to go the app-based route instead of the browser-based and, and just get rid of the desktop entirely and just say you have to have a smart device. So again, that's something for your practice to decide if that's the right way for you. Are you finding that, um, in your opinion, because you've been doing both of these, that the app-based is more stable than the browser-based? Um, no, I, I think from a stability standpoint, they're probably about the same. Um, I, and I would also say from an implementation standpoint and ease of use, um, they're, they're a, about the same. The app-based does require the extra step of downloading something, but you know, if you're familiar with, you know, if you download um, Spotify or Google Maps or whatever on your iPhone, you know, most people know how to download an app. So it's really just an extra 10 seconds or so. Um, and when you do that, it does alleviate any sort of possible um, like user error because the app only does one thing. Whereas, you know, your internet browser, you could have 50 tabs open and you've got pop-ups up, pop and music going and all sorts of other things happening, which can create more confusion. And the app is just sort of, you're in the app and that's what it's doing. End of story. Um, so I think from an implementation standpoint, the app does require the extra step, but it, it might actually be a little bit more preferable to the browser base. But um, I've heard both uh, positives from, from either side. Are you hearing anything in terms of special, um, special protocols that are having to be put into place related to older populations, especially like Medicare and Medicaid populations? Um, no, not necessarily because they're, um, because of what's going on right now, you're able to see Medicare and Medicaid uh, on telemedicine. So not, nothing really in particular that's, that's out of the ordinary. Um, from I'm thinking people... more, I'm thinking specifically like older populations. How do you train them or how, you know, if an older population, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. I was, I was listening to one of my neighbors, you know, yesterday, I could hear them on a balcony in the, the condo that I'm at. And I could hear them say that how they were like going to pop a bottle of Prosecco because they were going to celebrate that they figured out how to use Skype finally. And, you know, I just wonder from the standpoint of an older population, are they able to figure out how to update their browser or can they even figure out how to make, um, 
to make the app work on their phone or is that going to be a problem for them? Yeah. So one way around that or to help that, that we've seen and we've helped implement with a couple of different practices is a step-by-step walkthrough of what to do. So it's either screenshots or a quick video that actually shows someone click to download this thing or um, when they receive the text message with the office location um, link in it, they open up the text on the video, click the link, enter their name, press start. So it's, it literally is all you have to do step by step. And if there's someone that's, if, if they can't figure out how to like, click that link or open or allow those permissions or whatever, um, then what, what we've been seeing is having people just like call the office and then um, try and either troubleshoot with them, which, you know, obviously isn't the, the best solution, but it, it's really one of the only one that, that's available at the moment. Um, so either troubleshooting with them at the office or um, just rescheduling the appointment, honestly. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a business opportunity out there for somebody who wants to do um, that troubleshooting and kind of be that customer support. Yeah, absolutely, because there, there are people, like you said, that cannot figure this out. And, you know, if, if they can't figure out how to do a video call, then they're not going to be able to figure this out. And that's a population that's just not going to be able to benefit from telemedicine. Yeah. All right, well, let's get on to the positives here. So telemedicine provides an opportunity to um, to do some marketing and to have something to talk about. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of market. So let me back up. We've been providing a, a lot of these implementations and serving as a sounding board of knowledge as it relates to the different telemedicine solutions out there. But the, the our wheelhouse is in the marketing that goes with it. And so we were very quick to put together kind of a package to help people roll out their telemedicine. And so let's kind of go through kind of the things that we're seeing that are working for us, that those practices out there that are watching this or listening can actually go ahead and do for themselves as well. So why don't you just run through that list, Corey? Sure. So a couple of main things that you're going to want to do right when you have your telemedicine solution in place and you feel comfortable with it, you're going to want to update your website, preferably the website slider. That's that big image that you usually see on the front of a website. So right when you land something right there that says, we now offer telemedicine, doesn't have to have any additional details, just says, we now offer this, click here for more. Um, When they click, that should go to a blog post or a telemedicine page that outlines what the solution is, how to use it, um, things to be aware of, some limitations, things like that. You're also going to want to put together a flyer that you can use in office because again, when things do get back to normal, you want to let your current patients know that they do have this option. Um, And then of course some social media. So just again, mirroring the website slider look in the announcement that says that we now offer telemedicine. Um, We've also got um, from some of the practices that we work with, we've been seeing physicians send over photos of them with their telemedicine solution at home. We had one, orthopedic provider uh, send actually like a 20 second video of his setup at home. And he's got his, he's got his screen up with the telemedicine app. And then he's got um, his computer off to the side and which he's remoting in so he can access the EHR. And then he's got another computer if he needs it. And he was really proud of this setup. So he, he sent us a a video that we posted of that. Um, You also might want to consider a a fax blast to referring partners to let them know what you're doing. 
Um, same with email. If you have emails for referring folks, then you're going to want to email them as well. And then make sure to email or text your full patient list that you have this option. So typically through the portal, um, you should be able to send out sort of a, a blast to everyone that's enrolled. Um, if you don't have that option, then you can just, uh, if you do collect emails from your website, you can send out an email that way. And then uh, you also may want to consider doing some advertising. Now could be a good time to gain a lot of traction there. We think that doing social and uh, some social advertising and then Google ads would do very well. And so one thing that people may not know that you can consider doing is alerting local directories and news outlets, because especially right now, a lot of news outlets are, um, there have they have lists of what places are still open and still offering services so you can add your practice to these lists relatively easily same thing with local directories you can update those to say that you now offer telemedicine and if you have um, your listings claimed on any sort of the online reputation platforms like a health grades or uh, vital some of those places they actually allow you to check a box that says that you offer telemedicine or telehealth so be sure to do that as well Again, if you have the ability to update your website appointment forms, um, we suggest that you do that. So what we've been doing for a lot of clients is for a website appointment request form, if someone says that they want to request an appointment, we've actually created a new question that says, do you want to do an in-person or a telemedicine appointment? And that gets sent off to the appropriate parties as needed. Um, you can also have schedulers ask patients if they want to do a telemedicine appointment. That's a really simple one that a lot of people um, seem to have missed as, at the start of this is just asking folks if they want this because they don't know it exists. So if they're on the phone with the patient and they're trying to schedule them, um, pose that question because the answer sometimes is gonna be yes, of course. And then that will obviously affect the way that the schedule works, but it's also gonna open up some space on that physician's schedule. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say this too, like the the fact that we're in, in the immediate, we're talking about COVID-19 and getting telemedicine set up and things of that nature. In the long run, your marketing is going to be a little different, but in the short run, there's an opportunity to have fun with this. You know, we have a provider that sent over this morning a picture of him on a telemedicine call and he's in his, his white coat and a pair of cargo shorts that he would never wear to, to the office, but because he's at his home office doing telemedicine appointments, he's having a little bit of fun with it. And I think there's an opportunity to have fun, like you were saying, of the doctor who sent the 22nd video and really kind of leaning into, you know, that this is kind of the brave new world and this is how we're delivering medicine right now. I just think there's an opportunity. And, and just to touch on something that you mentioned, which is the fax blast, um, we know that medical practices still use fax machines and um, when you can't go out and visit with referring physicians, faxes are an easy way and relatively inexpensive way to get your message out there. So we had a practice that sent us a list of 900 of their referring partners, and we're doing a series of, of messages to those referring partners using the fax machine. And so, you know, kind of looking at the traditional way of things that have been happening and then, you know, what you can do to reach, you know, potential patients and referring partners, you know, maybe outside of what you would typically do. But I'm going to say like, have fun with this marketing because you finally have something new to tell people. Yeah, absolutely. And like most marketing, 
you know, it's obviously about letting people know what you're doing. But I think with, with telemedicine, especially in the long term, there's such an opportunity to talk to your internal audience, you know, your existing patients and tell them what you're doing as well. Because again, the more people that you can move to telemedicine, um, the more time that that can free up on a, on a clinic schedule, which allows you to either see more patients or, you know, just sort of shift those things long term. And that can really have a big impact on the business. So now is the opportunity to say, of course, yes, we now offer this. That's all we have to worry about for right now. But, you know, three months from now, we need to update some of these things to consider what's long term the best answer for the business to see the most amount of patients and still provide quality care. Absolutely. And in the short term, I'm going to say that now is a great time to spend money on AdWords and on Facebook ads because a lot of the big players, at least short term, have pulled out. So a lot of those eyeballs that you were that you were competing against, especially like in Facebook auctions and things of that nature, um, those players aren't there. So finally, those eyeballs are available and we might see those rates starting to come down. And I'm hearing this across a couple of different channels just this morning that a lot of those restaurants and retailers that you were competing with, they're no longer in the space because they've hit pause on all those budgets. So there might be an opportunity to gain market share in a downturn. And if this is hopefully a short-term opportunity, then you might want to lean into these telemedicine services and really get the word out there. Yeah, absolutely. So not only are, um, is there less competition, but there's more people looking because there's more people at home and they're just sort of scrolling the news feed. So they're waiting to see your ads. <laughs> exactly. It's been a long time. So since we talked about how you can spend money, let's talk about how you are actually going to get paid using telemedicine. Yeah. So a lot of platforms have a payment feature allowing you to collect before the visit. So um, for example, on some of the app-based platforms, you'll enter your information, you log in, and then one of the first things that you see is an option to enter a credit card. Um, so we've seen practices doing this in a couple of different ways. Some are just saying, for example, there's a $50 self-pay for any telemedicine visit, uh, or if that winds up in a in-person visit, we'll apply that $50 towards that visit. We've also seen it to where, um, one practice is doing it where it's $50 self-pay and that's it. So if that winds up in person, well then too bad that it was $50 for the telemedicine visit. Uh, some people are saying that the cost of the telemedicine appointment is the same as an in-person visit. So copay and deductibles will still apply just like normal. Um, co copays and deductibles will be collected prior to the visit. And then you may receive a bill for any balance after the appointment. So it's sort of run the gamut. It depends on your practice and your specialty specifically in terms of how you get paid, but we have seen it in a multitude of different ways. Yeah, because practices at the end of the day, I think it's great to provide a service, but we're gonna wanna know how to get paid. So what do I do if I have multiple providers? Yeah, so if you have multiple providers, this is actually one that we've heard a few times. So I, I touched on this a little bit earlier as well, but like here's the scenario. So the practice wants an MA to enter the call first, get the required info, the chief complaint, leave the call, and then have the doctor come in afterwards. So most solutions have the option where more than one provider can enter and leave a call from wherever they are, and you just have to pay for that feature. So depending on what you go with, for example, if you're doing like a doxy, um, everyone can share a room and then 
you can leave and enter, enter that room or that call as needed. And if you're doing something that's app-based, um, they'll have like a dashboard where multiple people can either uh, enter the room at a time or you can see from a dashboard who has access and who's gonna go in and who's gonna go out. So I think um, in short, yes, of course, if you have multiple providers, each one of these platforms is going to provide a solution. Typically, again, you pay by provider. So the more providers or accounts that you set up, the more money that's going to be. One question that I've heard from a lot of practices, um, and I'll use Doxy as the example here. Um, so as of this recording, it's $50 per provider. And so let's say you've got five providers and you want to have each provider with their own MA. So does that mean that I actually have to have 10 accounts at $50 per account? And the answer is yes. If they're in different locations, especially, then you will need one account per person that's going to use the platform. All right. And then I know we already touched on this a little bit, but if I want to get files uploaded to the platform, how do I go about doing that? Or what should I be considering when I'm choosing my platform regarding files? Yeah, so most platforms give patients and providers the ability to upload or download images and files as needed. And if you pay for an integration with an EHR system, then when those files are um, uploaded to you, they will automatically, in most cases, get sent over to the EHR and stored that way in that patient's chart. Um, but I know a lot of people, especially in the short term, they are not doing those integrations, one, because they're cost prohibitive, and two, because um, they just take so long, honestly, to get set up. Um, the last estimate that I heard was it can be anywhere from um, like 60 to 90 days before that integration is ready. Um, so what people are doing as sort of a workaround is if you do need to see some sort of an image study or photos or something like that, um, they are just sort of accepting them in the app and then downloading them to their local device and then uploading them into the EHR after the appointment. That's a lot of information, Corey. So real quick, let's just kind of recap where we are. Telemedicine is the new norm. And I think that you know the pandemic and forcing us all to be thinking about it is forcing the conversation, but really once we've all had the conversation, it's gonna be expected moving forward. Next, we, um, as a provider, I need to make the decision, you know, long-term, long short-term solution. You know, do I wanna use an app-based ser service or a browser-based service? And um, some of the things that we need to be thinking about is how we're going to accept payment, how we're gonna get paid, and how are the consent forms going to work um, in the solution that you choose? How are you going to implement, you know, the proper workflow and protocols and how are you going to communicate those workflow and protocols to your employees in the short term? How do we do that when some of our um, workforce is having to be furloughed or laid off or, you know, working from home and, and we're having to implement social distancing guidelines? And, you know, how does this look when you're trying to do something a lot quicker than you typically would from a workflow and protocol standpoint? And then, you know, how are you going to market the services? Where, are, you know, is this an opportunity to do some marketing that maybe you haven't done in the past? And, you know, can you have fun with it a little bit and, and provide a little bit of levity when you're announcing those services? And are there the opportunities because that people are pulling out of the advertising marketplaces and, and pulling, you know, their ad dollars away from 
away from you know spending because places are closed and things like that are there new opportunities for you to reach new audiences and to get a little bit of leverage on your competitors and then you know you got to start thinking how are you going to get paid is cms going to are is the you know is cms are they going to reimburse are you going to get paid for those you know for those new patients versus your established patients and so these are kind of fluid conversations that need to take place as we are setting up these telemedicine services. And then what do you do? You know, it's different if you're setting up one or two providers, but what if you have 30 providers and you have 10 locations? You know, that's a totally different conversation that's taking place. And what are you supposed to do with that? So Corey, you've provided a, a lot of important information and things that people need to think about when they go to set up their telemedicine solution. But if you were gonna provide one last piece of advice to those folks out there that are either listening to this or, or watching this in the, in the Dr. Marketing Tips Lab, what would you tell folks as they are embarking on kind of this brave new world of telemedicine? Well, I think exactly that, that this is a brave new world of telemedicine and this is the new normal. This is the expectation. So you're going to have to offer this and no, it's not gonna be perfect, especially at the beginning, but it's going to work and you have to get those protocols in place up front and train people the right way. Because if you do that, one, you're going to save yourself a ton of headache on the back end. Trust me, because I'm, I'm dealing with that now. We set up a lot of these things last week and um, now people are starting to realize all of the holes that they have to plug and what they have to do. So that as they're um, creating these protocols and they're evolving these workflows, um, that is, I would say that the biggest piece is there's such an opportunity here, but you have to make sure that everyone is trained and trained for how you want them to work long term. Because once this solution is in place and whatever one you decide to go with, that's probably, if we're being honest, the one that you're going to stick with. So make sure it's the right one and make sure you have all your ducks in a row um, before you get started, because it's going to save you a lot of time and headache and money on the long end. Yeah, and I think I think that's just about it. So um, thank you, everybody, for joining us here today. I know this is a long conversation, but I think it's going to be an ongoing one. And, you know, you can look at it as the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. And so let's look at it as we have an opportunity in front of us and we need to pivot and make it work for our businesses. So with that, I'm Jennifer. I'm Corey. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Marketing Tips podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the DrMarketingTips.com podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, check out DrMarketingTips.com for our podcast resource center with all the notes, links, and goodies we mentioned during the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our show, please consider pressing the subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss one of our future episodes. And if you haven't given us a rating or review yet on iTunes, please find a spare minute and help us reach and educate even more of our medical practice peers. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Doctor's Orders.